Hello, this is Bill Summers. Hi, this is Mike Clark. Hi, this is Ingrid Lucia. Yeah, you're right. This is Dr. John. I'm Mulgrew Miller. This is Idris Mohammed. This is Bobby Bush. Hi, this is Harry Shearer. You're joining me and so many other discerning listeners. You are listening to the WWOZ Interview Podcast. You are in tune to WWOZ 90.7 FM New Orleans, your 24-hour listener-supported jazz and heritage station. And uh, before the break there, we heard from uh, the Deep Blue Organ Trio. That was a a track entitled The Chant. And, um, well, we also heard uh, Sonny Rollins back there with a track entitled Sonny Please, which uh, the great uh, Bobby Broom is, uh, is playing on. And uh, he just so happens to be here in the studio with us. How you doing, Bobby? I'm great. How you doing, Russell? I'm awesome. glad you got that right out of the way early. <laughs> Bobby Broom is uh, is in the house. Yes, uh, out of the way, out of the gate. There, uh, you know, had to, had That's to. Good. That's I, good. That's... You know, I was actually devising questions based around a uh, another guest. You but, were gonna uh, right, right, and I, my prerogative, yes. But definitely. I was pleasantly surprised. To uh, have you come through the studio? No, I'm just we're just joking around here. Uh, but uh, Bobby Broom in the studio, he is playing tomorrow night at the uh, UNO Lakefront Arena, opening for uh, Steely Dan, and uh, he is here today to talk about uh, well, hopefully a lot of things here. Uh, he has a new album, My Shining Hour, and uh, which is uh, hot off the press. Yeah, it's it's warm in my hands yes. here. Still smoldering. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. And uh, some great tracks. We're going to hear a couple in, in just a minute. But I did want to ask you, Bobby, um, about your, um, well, your life, your career, because uh, as I, I mentioned, you played on that Sonny Rollins track there, uh, a, a great track entitled Sonny Please. That's the uh, title track from that album. Uh, you've also played with uh, Art Blake and the Jazz Messengers, uh, Kenny Burrell and, and his uh, his thing, and um, so many others. And I just wanted to ask you about those experiences and, and how you would say those experiences have uh, shaped you as a musician. Yeah, it's uh, joyful me for for me, joyful for me to hear uh, the, the, you know those list of names recounted and 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 you know those are great memories and it's really quite incredible that all that has happened <laughs> you know sure. um, these are the guys that I idolized mm-hmm. and still do uh, in in jazz music. So um, I remember being a, a youngster studying and listening and um, feeling as though I had missed something um, in terms of maybe when I was born and uh, in terms of the chronology of the music and, you know, because I was really into modern jazz, uh, which, you know, I'm talking about as a 15 year old mm-hmm. in the, in the mid seventies. So I, I was listening to, uh, probably from music from the 1940s on, uh, mm-hmm. to the present point, uh, the present day at that point. And looking at these records and reading the liner notes of, uh, you know, the records from, from those times at, up to the sixties, I'll say, and feeling like, man, I just, um, 
I missed all of this and, and I really wanted want to be a part of this this is this mm-hmm. is what i really want to do um but it's not it can't possibly happen because it's over you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? but wow that that was when you were 15 when when you kind of came to this realization oh, you were yeah. listening to these old records oh, and, yeah. and, and thought that's what oh, you by wanted the time to do. i was 15 i knew that i mean i had already either made the decision i don't i don't re- recall it being a decision mm-hmm. because it was like all of a sudden <laughs> i was a jazz guitar player, you know, to the core, that mm-hmm. was, you know, there was no question about it. It was like what I was going to do. Yeah. Your, uh, your true vocation. I knew that I, I had a long way to go. I, I mean, I wasn't good or anything, but, <laughs> <laughs> but there was something in me that, that knew that that was the truth. Mm-hmm. So, uh, my goal at that point was just to practice hard enough so that I could get good enough to be respected by my peers. That was my main goal was to, I, I didn't want fame or fortune or anything like that. I just wanted to be respected by my peers, whoever they may be. And I had mm-hmm. ideas about what that meant. And I wanted to be a part of the, 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 the club, you know, sure. I, I had weird thoughts as a youngster, <laughs> <laughs> but I understood the music and I understood mm-hmm. the camaraderie and yeah. and um, and the allegiance and what I think what the music was was about and what yeah. it represented culturally. And I just wanted to be in it. Sure. And and would you say that from the beginning, guitar was your instrument? Did did you know that right from the get-go? Or or what was it about the guitar that that drew you to it? I have no idea. I really couldn't tell you, Russell. (laughs) I mean, honestly, I still don't know. I mean, I love it, but not necessarily any more than I love the sound of a great trumpet player or a great anything. Mm -hmm. You know, I think a friend once said to me that I don't have you in the band because you play guitar. I don't need a guitar player. If you played the flute, you'd still be in the band because it's your voice. It's what you bring to the music and that kind of thing. Sure. That's kind of how I hear myself. Like oftentimes I I, I might think you're a pretty poor guitar player, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) but you're a good musician, you know, (laughs) like, so it's interesting. I might have been thinking that the other day after a you, gig. But. So you still think that to, to this day? I, I mean, I guess you have to constantly critique. But I mean, uh, so somebody even at your level is still saying, "Oh, I, I didn't have that part quite right." Or yeah, oh, most definitely. I mean, yeah. are you kidding? Yeah, and it, but it's you know, I'm just trying to say it transcends the instrument. I remember listening as a youngster. And I didn't like listening to a lot of guitar players. Most guitar players I didn't like. There were a, a handful of guys. Well, you know, the main one was George Benson that influenced me to pursue this in mm-hmm. the way that I did. When I heard him, it was like the sky, the, you know, the sea parted mm-hmm. and the, the sun, you know, shined. And uh, sure. I realized that there was a, a freedom available that that would that you know you could actually the sky was the limit in terms of mm-hmm. uh, melodic and and just musical uh content sure um via the instrument i had never heard the guitar played with that kind of freedom and 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 you know containing all of that music so mm-hmm. once i heard that and became aware that that was 
uh, possible. I went, wow, you know. I had listened to a lot of music up to that point. Um, as a kid, I was constantly in the radio, <laughs> like, all day, every day. Yeah. And um, really, really listening more than I, I knew then. I mean, I know now how intently I was listening. But so by the time I was whatever it was, 14 or 15, and I heard Benson, you know, I had heard lots of melodies. I loved a, a million songs, and I heard all of that in his solos. And so I said, well, if, I, if that's possible that level of artistry then that i that's what i want to pursue and it was on that instrument not necessarily because i i had already picked the guitar mm -hmm. and there was no reason i woke up one morning and that was my thought i want to play the guitar can i i need, can i get a guitar sure and you know my father used to bring home stuff from the barber shop so, <laughs> and he brought home uh a clarinet that was the first one I didn't like the squeaky sound. <laughs> then he brought home a violin, and I didn't like the squeaky sound. <laughs> I'm serious. And then he yeah. brought home, uh, you know, some eight tracks. You know, mm -hmm. sure, <laughs> it's sure. like you know barbershop culture. But um, the guitar was just something that was just came from wherever mm -hmm. and dream. it just just kind of hit you and then uh as soon as you heard uh, george benson as you said that that probably unlocked so much more uh within that instrument and yeah between that and my guitar teacher was a big influence too i studied with a guy up in harlem i grew up in new york city and mm -hmm. i studied with a guy up in harlem named jimmy uh jimmy carter and um he was a jazz player played gigs and you know i loved going to his house on saturday mornings and he'd tell me his gig story of the week you know and it was just i was in awe of of, of him and and um, his lifestyle and you know he was cool and um but i didn't really i mean i was i i practiced everything he asked me to but beyond that i wasn't trying to pursue the music on my own like personally during mm -hmm. the week Okay. He would say, you know, you need to listen to Wes Montgomery. You got to listen to Wes Montgomery. Every week he would tell me, Wes Montgomery. And I'm like, okay. You know, I'd nod like, yeah, okay, sure, sure, okay. Yeah. And then I'd leave and be like, whatever. Cool in the gang. You know, I yeah, just sure. go to my, my music. Mm -hmm. After I heard George Benson and started to study the music and try to, you know, find out what was actually going on with it and who influenced who and and, you know, figure out the, the, the story a little bit, um, it became <laughs> apparent that uh, that uh, Wes was one of George's biggest influences or, you know, Wes Montgomery is considered the, the father of jazz guitar. And um, my cousin that lives in Baton Rouge now used to stay with us uh, when he was stationed in the area and he had a record collection, a very eclectic record collection. I remember taking his Rare Earth record, and I and when I found out that he had a West Montgomery record that was around that same time, and I took I took it, and and um, it made perfect sense when mm -hmm. I heard it after ha now having heard George, and now having started to delve into modern jazz with the Bird and Miles and everybody mm -hmm. that I read, I was supposed to be into and connecting the dots, and then I heard Wes, and I was like, you know. 
duh, of course, <laughs> I should have been doing this, you know, last year. Or well, whatever, you know, sure, sure. But so it was a beautiful thing, you know, mm-hmm. the discovery, um, the time of discovery is really, really, really something. I see that with with my students now. That's great, yes, because you are a, a teacher there in Chicago, mm-hmm. um, which you've called home for over 30 years now. Yeah, just about 30. Don't push it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I could only imagine. Well, and we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit because I do want to ask you about uh, your, your students and, and your teaching methods and, and kind of what you gain from them and what they gain from you, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to remind everyone that they are in tune to WWOZ 90.7 FM New Orleans. And uh, if you're just tuning in, we are sitting across from uh, Bobby Broom here, uh, legendary jazz guitarist who has uh, played with some of the best, and uh, we'll uh, get into that in a little while. Um, he has a new CD, My Shining Hour, and um, we're going to listen to a track entitled Sweet and Lovely. You want to go ahead and uh, set this uh, this track up here? Wow, do I know how to do that? Let's see. <laughs> Sweet and Lovely. Uh, this record is something that uh, I wasn't sure I would do. Um, it's a record of, of Americana. Of, of, of It's the American songbook, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I handpicked these songs. They're not your everyday standards. Right. You know, they're they're ones that are well known, but but ones that really s- spoke to me um, melodically, and then you know I always have to hear the music within the context of whatever group you know, whether it's the organ group or the guitar trio, and especially the guitar trio because there's just a different environment. I'm dealing with when I when I play in that group, so sure. I have to make sure the material is going to translate and and all of that. So you know, I made some uh, minor adjustments and, and and arrangements to some of these songs, and um, this one felt like it belonged up at the beginning of the program. So hope you enjoy it. Well, here you go. I'm sure we will. Sweet and lovely. Uh, from Bobby Broom, his latest release, My Shining Hour. He'll be playing over at the Lakefront Arena tomorrow evening. Let's check this song out, and we'll uh, come right back and uh, chat with Mr. Bobby Broom some more here on 90.7 FM, WWOZ. Bobby Broom right there from his latest CD, My Shining Hour, and uh, I couldn't agree more. Bobby Broom, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm great. Some great, great stuff. Uh, sweet Thank and you. lovely there. Um, who's the original composer on, on that track? That's a good question. You got me on that one. I'm sorry to stump you. That's I don't mean right. to put you, you on the you stop. You really stumped me, too, because I, I, right now... I know so many different uh, <laughs> folks have, have uh, played uh, Sweet and Lovely. I know uh, McCoy Tyner, I believe, oh, yeah, has, everybody, has done it, but... Uh, that is truly a unique version right there um, that you've put together. How do you go about selecting your songs, and, and how do you um, take a song like that or, or you know somebody else's song and, and truly make it yours? How, how do you go about that? I think the first thing is I have to love the song. I have to want to do the song. You know, I have to want to sing the song. 
and you know we're talking about it not being about the instrument as much as it's, it's about the music uh for me as an instrumentalist when i play i'm i'm just singing you know through this instrument i i'm not a good singer so it's a good thing that i kept playing the guitar <laughs> so at least i can try to do that but so it's it's that's the first step the first step is just really really having a a, a love for the material and affinity for the material which mm -hmm. is why you know i've done like you could look at this record and say wow this he's finally done a jazz record or he hasn't done a jazz record in a long time if you look at the titles of these songs and you go oh yeah you know the, the, these are standards oh good finally dad because he's <laughs> done like pop records where I've played uh, Stand by Sly and the Family Stone and Monday Monday by the Mamas and Papas and and wow. uh, Wichita Lineman and all uh -huh. these pop songs that I grew up with. But to me, it doesn't sound that much different than what you just heard. Mm -hmm. um, because it's me singing. It's my right. group. It's your own the voice. idea of the environment I want my music to to operate in. Mm -hmm. And and so, it, you know, it, that's really what it, it's about, just trying to create the right environment for me to uh, express. Sure. And uh, speaking of environment, I mean, you uh, are originally from Manhattan, New York, mm -hmm. um, and now currently living in Chicago. How uh, have those geographical places uh, shaped your plane or, or what experiences maybe um, have, have shaped your plane? Uh, that's an interesting question. And maybe if I think about it, um, you know, like my, my pat answer would be not really at all. But mm -hmm. but I know from now, you know, the whole experience of leaving New York City as a jazz musician uh, at the, um, you know, the, 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 at least in the na the nascent stages of of a, of a what looked like a promising career, to move to a, a, you know a metropolis, but mm -hmm. not a center uh, or a known center anymore of musical activity. Although it is and always has been it in is. a way, and, you know. and, and there's been some great players, oh, uh, yeah. you know, from the Delmark label that have sure. come out of that scene sure. and, and sure. have really put it. You know, back on the map. So tons of there. musical activity there, and mm -hmm. and and has been um, throughout my time there. Mm -hmm. But uh, it, you know, it's not New York, so that was a bit of a <laughs> a bit of a stretch. But the, a funny thing happened. Um, I kept practicing, <laughs> and I was able now being removed from what was popular on my instrument at that time in the uh, in the mid 80s my style of guitar playing was not the uh, the flavor of the month at that time mm -hmm. um people looked more toward um players that were more rock based and and played with effects and, and sure so this was a great time for me to get away, be away, focus on myself and practice and not care 
about what was current or what mm-hmm. I should be doing or thought, you know, not, it didn't matter. It, mm-hmm. it may not have mattered had I stayed in New York either, but uh, knowing me, but, um, it certainly didn't while I was away. And the main thing was that I, I, I wanted to strengthen my own voice to the extent that, uh, it would be desirable in whatever, what, you know, whatever that meant mm-hmm. so that was my focus and then for me that meant the same way i had been practicing and the same sound that i was hearing since i was 15 was just guitar and amp yeah you know with a little reverb that's it <laughs> you know and if i can't make it go like that then which is funny because being here in new orleans makes me think of the six years i spent in dr john's band like uh playing at uh, being a, a a blues like real, real authentic blues mm-hmm. player and all the offshoots thereof, I got close sometimes. And you know, I I, I particularly like that Duke Elegant record because I feel like I played um, pretty close to myself, except on some of the songs where I had to put on distortion and all that. But. Sure. But I we uh, listened to actually earlier your version of Caravan uh, off of that album, uh, which yeah. uh, to me is a truly unique version of that song. He because, did a great thing with know. that record. He really, yeah, yeah, yeah he had a, a, a cool vision with that record, uh, and it, it was fun to make. Yeah, and and so you as a guitarist, and uh, you're talking about uh, practicing uh, on. Uh, by yourself and developing your own voice, how do you take that and apply it to these uh, different trios and also, you know, with a big band like, you know, Dr. John's group, but how do you kind of fit it within these different contexts? Very delicately, I guess. I mean, you know, really, again, it's it's about the context. So when I think of, um, when I think of that, I think about somebody like Miles, who was a painter, Mm Yeah. Uh, and he had his his style in his sound and um, no matter what the canvas was, what the what the material of the canvas, he could still make his he could design in his own unique way. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that's kind of the goal. I'm not a um, uh, uh, not a jack of all trades kind of player. I I guess I never really wanted to be because I could have been, I could have pursued um, uh, learning to play with effects or learning to sound exactly like this, exactly like that, exactly, especially on guitar. I mean, you can make a lot of money doing that. Sure. But that wasn't what was in my heart. What was in my heart is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, thank goodness that... Uh, that's okay and and, and, and you know uh the universe supports me in that because that's that's all there (laughs) that's all there is you know so uh i I just bring that and and with the groups like you know of course the trio is the most um i guess uniquely me because it is me at the forefront and my vision of of what I want around me mm-hmm. and trying to const- construct that. And, you know, I have great help in my side, man. Um, awesome help. I mean, sure. to the extent that I feel that the, the trio is a group that has a sound. 
this and that, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, the guitar is the focal point, but I couldn't do it. Definitely not without those guys and they're all singular voices in uh in and of themselves uh the organ trio was a different thing similar in the chemistry couldn't be that Mm -hmm. the deep blue organ trio can't be the deep blue organ trio with any other member um but that's that's natural yeah that's an important point yeah uh so it was just a matter of us um finding the right balance and the right blend. And we did that over time. We were together for 20, uh, some, you know, 20 plus years. So, uh, and it wasn't until about eight or nine years of playing together on and off, um, that we decided we would form the group and, and made a concerted effort to, um, you know, make some kind of mark or whatever, you know. Yeah, and I, I, I think you have certainly accomplished that um, over your career, um, which is more than 30 year, years of, of playing with, uh, wow. with with different groups, right? Really? I, I think so. <laughs> uh, that's that's what I have in front of me, at least. Um, if you're just joining us, I'm sitting here with uh, Mr. Bobby Broom, who is uh, playing at the UNO Lakefront Arena tomorrow evening, opening up for Steely Dan. Wait, we're playing at the the, the arena, the UNO Arena, the arena playing I, jazz. I, yes. Wow, that doesn't seem to make sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there, it makes a lot of sense once you uh, put it in context. It kind of does. Yes. There's lots of lovers of uh, that style out there, and uh, they'll they'll be there tomorrow night. Yeah, and. Um, Man, like God bless Steely Dan for facilitating that, right? You yeah. know, I mean, because it's the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, we we find that I remember my first experience with uh, uh, an opening act was when I was a kid, and I went to see Earth, Wind, and Fire at the Garden at Madison oh, wow. Square Garden. Yeah, and the opening act was this some weird band. And everybody was booing, myself included. It oh, was wow. something I don't even know what they were playing. And it was something about the weather forecast, weather report, or something. Okay, so wow, people boo, were booing oh, weather report. Boo, terrible. Wow. We want Earth, Wind, and Fire. And then the following year, okay, so the, you know, I might have been like just getting into jazz at the time. Mm-hmm. Not really, but kind of. And then a year later, I was really into jazz, like listening to the radio station, listening to the music every day. And boom, every day on the radio was Weather Reports, Heavy Weather, uh, Mm -hmm. Birdland. And I was like, wow, I can't believe that I did that and that I was so unaware, you know. So I didn't know what to expect when we got the call to first open for, you know, the, this is this huge group, iconic group, mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, with 30, 40 years of music hits, mm-hmm. pop hits. And, um, but it, it, surprisingly and, and not so surprisingly, you know, Steely Dan's music has a sophistication and a depth. And we know that. So their audiences are are aware on a on mm-hmm. a, a little bit different level, sure. and even if even if they're not, they want to be. Oh yeah! And so we receive quite a bit of love from from the audiences. It's 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 really nice. 
That is a, a, a great thing, and yeah. uh, I'm sure it's going to be a great uh, stellar performance tomorrow night at the uh, UNO Lakefront Arena. Bobby Broom and uh, your trio. The new album is My Shining Hour, and uh, we're going to go out with the uh, classic Sweet Georgia Brown. And uh, you want to uh, quickly uh, mention uh, this track or uh, kind of what it means to you and, and what you want the listener to take away from it? Well, this is, of course, the classic and um, associated with all, all the jazz greats. Um and especially trumpet players mm -hmm. and uh not being one to shy away from the horn roll uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh you know as i said i was trying to construct a program of music that made uh, songs that made indelible marks on our american culture um you know, when I think about these songs, I don't think jazz to me is the interpretation of music, of, 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 of the culture, of the present culture. Um, and that's what jazz guys did from day one. They took whatever musical material they had at their uh, disposal and awareness and they interpreted that yeah. uh, in that special way. So wow. whether I do a pop song or whatever. I mean, and when I look at these songs, some of these songs like sweet and lovely was, was a pop song. It was not actually wasn't a hit until maybe it's second go round. Uh, and, and then it became popular in a musical or whatever, but, but these are popular songs, mm -hmm. um, with your own interpretation and, and your own voice on them. Uh, I might add. Yeah. And there's, yeah. you know, there's some, some things that I like to do with the, uh, with the beats or whatever to uh they may feel a little bit different but at the core it's it's just me playing jazz you know there you go well uh bobby broom thank you so much for uh stopping by and uh gracing us here at uh, wwz fm new orleans um Really look forward to uh, checking out the uh, rest of the CD, My Shining Hour. I hope you do. And uh, I think it's going to be a great performance tomorrow night at the uh, UNO Lakefront Arena. That's uh, Saturday, July 26th. And, uh, again, thank you so much for stopping by. We're going to go out with uh, Sweet Georgia Brown right here on 90.7 FM, WWOZ. Thanks for listening to our WWOZ podcast bringing the voices of New Orleans to the world.